Praise God. So I'm going to start. Let's find my microphone here. Sorry for those of you that are listening to this on the podcast. You might hear a little bit of static there. Apologies. Um, but I'm going to start this message off by sharing a bit of a bit of a story, if you will, um, that has taken place over the last no last day or so, last day or two, um, because it ties directly into what we're going to talk about in regards to faith today. And as many of you know, uh, I coach high school football, and we had a um, pretty late game on on Friday. Didn't get home till about. I don't know, one thirty or two o'clock or so or something like that, Saturday morning. Um, <clears throat> didn't get enough hours of, of sleep, and so was really tired and wasn't feeling too well um, on Saturday there. And I knew that I had a message to preach today. And yesterday, even though I already said, yeah, I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to prepare the message and everything for today, and I'm going to let God guide me on what that is, I definitely was not physically feeling up to the, up to the task and up to the challenge. Um, and so my mom just happened to call me because I sent her a video of these raccoons that were trying to get into our house the night before. And so she called and we were talking on the phone and everything like that. And on the time, whole time on the phone, I can I can kind of hear the devil saying to me, you don't have to go in tomorrow. You don't have to preach. Just stay home and get some rest. You know, you got you got a new job coming up. You've got these other things coming up. Stay home and get some rest. And I started thinking about that as I'm on the phone with my mom and I started quietly just saying, no, you know what, Lord? You're Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so I know that you can heal me of whatever this sickness is that I'm feeling, this headache that I have, this sore throat that I have, this barely being able to speak and being able to stand. Um, And I also heard God tell me that you have to do more. In other words, you can say it and you can pray and you can believe it. But what do your actions do? And he reminded me of the scripture that says faith without works is dead. And so I had the faith knowing that God was going to give me the strength to be able to sit down and prepare the message. And so what I decided to do then was to say, how do I act on that? What should I do to show God that I know that he's going to heal me? And so my mom was on the phone. She said, oh, yeah, we got to run out and run a couple of errands and everything like that. And we have to go here, here and here. And that's why I said, oh, I said, mind if we tag along? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll swing by, pick you up and everything like that. And because that was my way that I knew that if I can show the devil and show God that I know who God is, that I was going to be okay. And we went out, we had a fun time. Um, and that during that time, I could also still feel Satan just kind of, yeah, that stomach, that feeling in your stomach, that nauseous feeling. Yeah, you should just go home. Tell them, they'll understand. Just go home. You don't have to do anything. Just go home. Don't even worry about it. And I said, no, I rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, for by his stripes I am healed. And so, yes, I was feeling nauseous, but I was not going to allow that nauseous feeling to keep me from having a good time. I was not going to allow the devil to put that in front of me to keep me from preparing today's message. And so I went home afterwards and closed my eyes for about 15 minutes, got up, finished the message, and I could feel I could feel just a weight lifted off my shoulders. I can feel the healing starting to, to, to come through. And this morning, the Satan tried to hit me again and say, yep, there's that feeling again. There's no way you're going to be able to make it. And so it falls perfectly in line with Scripture because last week we heard a message around thoughts and changing your thoughts. And the world will always tell you, stop thinking about negative things, but they never tell you really to replace those negative thoughts with positive thoughts. More importantly, to replace those negative thoughts with things that God would want you to think about, because it's impossible to not think about negative thoughts. And so even though I was thinking in my head and I knew in my spirit that God was greater than the weakness that I was feeling, I also had to take action to show him that I knew who he was. 
And we hear a lot about how you have to claim and name all the things that you want. But the reality of it is claiming and naming is only a small piece of being able to exercise faith. In order to activate your faith, there's actions that you must take. So today we're going to talk about how do I actually activate my faith? Before you can activate your faith, you first have to understand what faith actually is. So let's look at what the scripture says about what faith is and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at a familiar scripture here. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're just going to go to verse one. Praise the living God. Hebrews 11 verse one. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it elders obtained the elders obtained a good testimony. Okay, in verse one, there, if you don't have if you don't have that scripture underlined, underline the whole thing, circle or double underline now faith because now faith this is the faith in the present. Okay, living in now today, feeling whatever it is that you're feeling, having faith right now that God is going to deliver you from whatever it is that you're going through is the faith that that the Bible is talking about. So we need to understand that faith is something that we need to have at all times and we shouldn't be trying to turn it on and off like a light switch. The amplified translation of now faith or of this scripture says now faith is the assurance title deed confirmation of things hoped for divinely guaranteed and the evidence of things not seen the conviction of their reality Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. For by this kind of uh, faith, the men of old gained uh, gained divine approval. There in verse 1 in the Amplified again, it said the conviction of their reality, faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. So what is faith? Faith is believing in something that cannot be felt with your physical, your five senses. Okay. That's what faith is. Faith is understanding that God is who he is, even though we've never seen him, even though we've never physically felt him touch us or that we've heard him uh, the way that you can hear my voice audibly right now. So it's understanding that my belief of something is that's going to happen has no has has is not impacted by the things that I see around me. You can read the news and you can hear about all sorts of shootings that take place. But faith is understanding that if I walk out my door, that there's a hedge of protection around me and that I don't have to worry about what's happening no matter what. I belong to a um, uh, a neighborhood kind of watch email system and everything like that. And so we always kind of get emails anytime there's something going on in the neighborhood and about people breaking into cars and houses and everything like that. But all I simply do is when I see those, is I say, Lord, just place a hedge of protection around this property. In the name of Jesus. And I don't have any worries. I'm not afraid to go out of my house in the front. I'm not afraid to go in the backyard. Uh, there's dogs in the, in the neighborhood as well. And there's a pretty big dog that's next door and everything. But I'm not worried to go outside and, and, and worried about him getting into my yard because I know that God has his angels out there. Have I seen his angels out there? No. Have I seen a burning bush or anything like that, that that's showing me that God's presence is there? No, but in my spirit, I can feel it. And I have faith knowing that even though I can't see God and I can't see his angels round about me, that he said he would keep me safe. Just like the song we we listen to about being in God's hiding place. I know that if I'm in God's hiding place, even though I don't see a physical shelter or a shadow or his wings over me, I know that he's he's protected me. 
So the first thing to, uh, to, to activating your faith is understanding what faith is. And that's believing in God who, is, who cannot be felt by physical senses. The other thing that we need to, look, to do to activate our faith is to recognize that God only has good things planned for you. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter two. And we're going to start in verse nine. So understanding what faith is and in recognizing that God only has good things planned for you. Second Corinthians chapter nine, uh, chapter two, excuse me, verse nine. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Underline that, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. This is why it's important to make sure that we're constantly tuning into Holy Spirit frequency. The same way I remember the old radios uh, before now that everything is digitized. But I remember the little radios that had the little knob. And on the top, you had the FM station. On the bottom, you had the AM station. You had that little red needle that was in the middle. And you're turning the dial and you're trying to get it just right. And you're playing with the antenna and you're putting it next to the window. And you're doing all these things because as you're turning in, bang, a song popped on that you wanted to hear. And it's like, oh, wait, how do I find that station? Well, it's the same thing as we're walking in the spirit. We have to make sure that we're constantly trying to tune in to what Holy Spirit is saying. And then when we hear from him... To stop what we're doing and actually listen. Don't keep turning that down. Eh, I'm going to go do something else. No, when you hear him speaking to you, listen to what he's saying to you. Because Holy Spirit could be talking to you while you're washing dishes. He could be talking to you while you're, while you're working on the car. He could be talking to you while you're doing yard work. He could be talking to you when you're out there running. Um, you know, at <laughs> times I've gone out for a run. Um, and I'm breathing hard because I'm coming to the end of the workout. I'm trying to push and trying to push through. There's times when he'll talk to me and I'll stop dead in my tracks and I'll turn it into a walk. Just so I can hear what he has to say to me. I'll take on my phone and put a little note in there because he might be giving me some information for either upcoming message or something that's coming up in the day or a conversation that I'm going to have with someone. Or he could be giving me something to reflect back on based off of something I had already done. And so I don't want to miss it. So the only way that I can connect with God then is to make sure that I'm tuned in to Holy Spirit's frequency because Holy Spirit knows what God the Father is thinking. And therefore, he can tell me so that I know how to pray accordingly and that I know how to go to God accordingly. But the main thing is to also recognize is that God only has good things planned for us and things that we can't even dream of. And if you think about that, think about any time in your life when you prayed for something that you really, really wanted. You didn't get what you wanted, but God gave you what you needed and how that thing that you needed was so much better than the thing that you wanted. OK. And you couldn't even think about it. It was beyond your wildest dreams to think, well, Lord, I prayed for this. Not only did you give me this, but you gave me this, 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 and it. Wow, I can't believe that. I don't know how many times, I won't say blow my mind, uh, but I don't know how many times God has just, um, how I was just awestruck with one of some of the things that God has done. Okay? Just thinking about, Lord, you know I need this. This is all I'm asking for. And he's like, don't worry, I got you. And he gives me that and then some. Okay? It's amazing. So in order to activate faith, faith we also have to recognize that God only has good things planned for us. Turn to James chapter one. Kind of staying on this a a, a little bit here. Okay, James chapter one. 
And we're going to verse 12. James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away, underline this, by his own desires and enticed. Then when the uh, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. OK, notice there in verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So if you look at those scriptures there, you see right there, especially in, um, in verse 12, God has promised us promised us a crown of life. So if we love him and if we're following him, we're going to get a get a crown of life. But if we are putting our own desires in front of his, you can see in verse 15, it brings forth sin and then sin when it's full, when it's full blown, brings forth, brings forth death. So if God can't tempt you with anything evil, then that means that God only has good things in store for you. That means that God only has uh, nothing but good intentions, but you also have to undergo some trials and tribulations before you can get those things. You still have to be, you still have to be tested in order to be able to get, the, uh, to be able to obtain what it is he's trying to give you. Right later on in the scripture, the Bible also talks about running, uh, running the race. Okay, and I'm paraphrasing there, but Paul was talking about how at the end, after you run the race, you you will receive a crown of glory. Okay, and that is getting through this life with all its trials and tribulations that it has. That if you can just persevere to the end and understand that it's a marathon and not a sprint, if you can persevere and get it to the get to the end, you will have things that that only God can give you, not things that man can give you, but things that only God could give you. So once again, in order to activate your faith, you have to recognize that God only has good things planned for you. The next part of activating our faith is going to be making sure that we remember who we are. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Remembering who we are. Romans chapter 8 and... Let's see. Let's start in verse 24, actually. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for or as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows uh, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints uh, for the saints according to the will of God. Under, underline that uh, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So not because according to your own will, but according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So we see a couple of things there in scripture there. Right. Verse 24 and 25. That's getting back to the fact that faith is not something that can be exercised by using the five senses. There's no need for me to hope that my car is out in the parking lot if I walk out in the parking lot and I see my car out there. There's no reason for me to hope 
that I have my car keys when I put my hands in my pocket and my car keys are in my hands. Now, wouldn't it be something if I didn't have my car keys and God told me to go home and take my car and actually drive my car home? And I didn't have my car keys around, didn't have a backup uh, spare of keys or anything like that, because then that would be an exercise of faith. Because I don't know how I would get my car started, put into gear, get it to the house without having my car keys. So we see that in verse 24 and 25 as a reminder that faith is not something that is accessed by our five senses. In verse 28 there, we see that all things work together for good for those, uh, for those who love God to those who are called to according to his purpose. You have no idea how many Christians out there who love God and, and are practicing Christians, so not just Christian by name, that don't understand that if they are going through something, that it's okay for them to ask God to help them. Because what they think is, well, God is too busy for me. Who am I for God to stop his busy schedule and deal with and do deal with, let's say, you know, world hunger and wars and all these other, quote unquote, more important things to help me with something as simple as maybe looking for my car keys, maybe being able to find my car keys. I'm not going to trouble God with that as if God somehow has this master calendar and this master schedule where he says, Okay, let's see. Sunday, 11 a.m. I got to deal with this. 11:30 is this, but oh, brother, so and so put this request in here. Oh, I don't know where I'm going to put this. Um, I'll deal with that one tomorrow. No, God is not doing that. Okay, God is more powerful than that. God is not constrained by time, so there is nothing that you can do to overburden God. God has shoulders that are wider than the universe, so He can take on anything that 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 is um, that that you that you give to Him if you understand and you're doing things that are according to His purpose. So if you're a Christian and you're a believer and you're doing things according to God's purpose, no matter what the struggle is, don't think for one minute that God is not going to help you. Don't think for one minute that God is not is not wanting to help you with some of the most pettiest things in your mind. Some things that might be petty, petty to you aren't petty to him, because when you go to him for those little things, you will go to him for the bigger things. Okay? I think about a little kid and I think about my own. Think back to one of my son, who's now five. Wow, time flies. Um, but I remember when he was learning to walk. All right. And how we kind of just stand him up there and we stay back, you know, maybe a couple of inches or so. And he'd reach out and boom, he hit the ground and he's standing back up and he does it again. But he would look at us every single time as he's doing that, because he's looking at our face and looking at our eyes to see, hey, this is mommy and daddy. So I trust you. So I'm going to continue to walk even for something as small as that. Even though, bang, you hit the ground and it felt like the whole house shook sometimes when you hit the ground because you hit it so hard. But even then, he still knew that he can trust us. He knew that we weren't going to do anything that was going to put him in, in harm's way. So we need to understand that, that, that with God, God is not going to ever put us in harm's way. But that also then over time, as my son five years later now, um, as, as he's five and my daughter is nine, how they now can go to us for anything because even when they were children, we let them come to us with stuff. So over time, when it's built, it's built trust and, and faith, if you will, in us that we're going to always take care of them no matter what the situation might be. So don't ever think that because the Bible talks about us needing to be humble and not think of ourselves highly as we ought. Do not think for one minute that you have any kind of problem that is too big or too small for God. Whatever it might be. You've heard Pastor talk about the hangnail situation. And he's always talked about it in his example, going to God with a hangnail for, the, for something as small as that. OK, I've done it for little things like, Lord, I was walking into the bedroom and why did I come in here? There's a reason I had a purpose coming in here, but then I had a million thoughts on my way from the living room to the bedroom, which isn't that far of a walk. And Lord, why would you have me in here? 
Oh, that's right. Just just as simple as that. Now, that may seem silly and everything, but I also know what that's showing God is that, Lord, I'm not willing. I'm willing to go to you for anything. Okay, it's not my decision to determine what rises up to your level of priority. If it's an issue for me, I'm going to you, regardless of what that issue might be. So just remember who you are and that there's nothing that you have that is too small or too big for God. We're going to look now at a familiar event that took place that showed Jesus exercising his faith. And it's familiar, and we've, we've read this story, we've known this story ever since we were a kid, but we're going to look at kids, but we're going to look at when Jesus fed the 5,000, because there's some powerful truths in there um, that God wants us to look at. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And we're going to start right in verse 1. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these, these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he had performed on those who were diseased. diseased. Underlined all of verse 2 there. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So all these people are following Jesus because they can see that there is some benefit to following Jesus. They watched people that were sick and he watched them heal them, heal them. So they said, you know what, we're going to go follow him. We're going to watch him as he performed all of these signs. One of the things that we need to be careful of doing is making sure that we're not just following God when it's convenient for us, when we want something. Okay. Don't follow God just because you've seen him perform all sorts of miracles. Follow God at all times because you love him and you want a deeper relationship with him. Okay, these people watched Jesus perform all these miracles and saw how it could benefit him, benefit them. So they continue to follow him. All right. Also, we want to make sure that we don't forget the miracles that God has performed in our lives. As you look into him, remember what he's done for you, no matter how great or no matter how small. Don't forget those things, because those are a good reminder that he is the same yesterday, today and forever. And if he's delivered you in the past, he will then he will also deliver you um, in the future. Okay, so picking up here in verse three and Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now, the Passover, a feast of the Jews was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Underline verse six here. But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. See, God may test us and allow us to be tested. And, and like Jesus said um, in, in, in Scripture that, you know, you will have trials and tribulations. But understand that God already knows what he's going to do. God already knows that he's going to deliver you. So when he puts that challenge in front of you. Don't think that he's trying to do it to trick you to make you think that he's not going to be there for you. He knows he's already going to do it. So what we have to get in the habit of remembering is that God has already made the decision that I'm going to be victorious. I need to get it in my mind that even though I don't see how he's working, that he is going to make the thing happen that he said he was going to make happen. If I'm sick, I have to know that God has already made the decision that I'm going to heal you. My job then is to ask God for that healing, to claim that healing in the name of Jesus and walk forward as though I am already healed, even if my physical body says otherwise. 
But he said this to him, for he knew himself what he should do. Now look at Philip's response here in verse 7. 200, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, uh, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two, false, two small fish, but what, what are they among so many? So here you see Philip and Andrew looking at the situation with their physical senses. They see all these people that are sitting down, and Jesus is asking them, hey, you've walked with me, you've talked with me, you've seen what I could do. I've got a question for you. Where do we get food for these people? And they're saying, well, you know, this kid has got some food here, but that's nothing compared to all of these people. So if God tells you that he's going to give you the means to replace, let's say, a major appliance in your house or give you the means to be able to buy a new house because you need to get out of the one that you're in or to give you a new job because the one that you're in is not the one that you wanted. And it's causing all sorts of stress and sadness and other things that start to get to to get carried home. Why do you then look at your bank account and see that you've got five dollars in there and say, how can I buy for this when I only have five dollars in there? Why do you think about the previous applications that you submitted and interviews you went on where you were just told, yeah, sorry, we're going in another direction instead of thinking about, wait a second, Lord. No, you said in your word that your promises are yea and amen. And you said that if I ask and I'm paraphrasing here, but that if I ask according to your will, that it will be done. And I've been asking according to your will, but I haven't seen it done. Why don't you focus on, Lord, you said this. And I know you're going to do this. So instead of me looking at my current circumstance, I'm going to look at the things that are going to be coming, even though I can't see them. Don't look at how many loaves of bread and how many fish are in the basket and how to figure out how that's going to be feed 5000 people. Instead, look at the one to your right that's walking alongside of you and ask him, Lord, what do I need to do to feed these 5000 people? Because only you can take this impossible situation and turn it into something possible. And again, you see Philip again, and I'm going to stay on this for a little bit. Philip and Andrew walked with Jesus. They knew who he was. And yet still they doubted because of the circumstances that they saw. I'm going to read verse nine again there. There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, make make the people sit down. Now, there uh, now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those uh, those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. If you don't have all the underline uh, verse 11, underline, underline all of that. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. Notice there that Jesus gave thanks for what he already had. Okay. Too many times we're always focusing on what we want, what we think we need, what we don't have, that we don't take time to thank God for what we actually do have. That's important in terms of activating faith. And the reason why that's important is because as you start thinking about what God has already given you, it starts to serve as a reminder that you didn't get that thing because of yourself. You got it because God gave it to you. So if he gave it to you then when you thought you needed it, what makes you think that he won't give you this next thing when you need it now? Uh, What was it about? Actually, it's been about a month now. Um, We were down in Disney. Had a beautiful time down in Disney. And every single day it was a battle because I would wake up and the devil would say, don't forget that washing machine you have to replace that's broken. 
That's what he would say to me. That washing machine that's walking all over the basement when it's in the spin cycle, making so much noise that you got to run down there and try to hold it in place so the water doesn't get out and flood everything. Don't you forget about that, because when you're standing in this gift shop and your kids want these things that you want to buy and you want to go buy this food, how are you going to pay for that food when you got to go get that washing machine? And every single morning I'd have to bind them up in the name of Jesus. And they're walking through the gift shop, the same thing. I can see the joys on the kids' faces. They're putting it, I want to get this, and I want to get this. And I can feel the devil, mm-hmm, yeah, you're going to pay for that. Look at the price on that. And don't forget, this is California. There's tax, okay? So what you see on the sticker, that's not what it's going to cost. There's tax involved in that. And oh, no, don't forget, you got to pay for bags going back. All this stuff that kept coming up. And I had a good time because I said, no, because I know that God's going to give me that washing machine because he and I had already talked. Amen. He and I already had a conversation and I said, Lord, I know you're going to give us this washing machine when you need us to give it. Give it. In the meantime, we're going to go down to, to down to California. You made a way for us to do it and we're going to have a joyous time. And I'm not going to let the devil devil steal my joy because I know the word says for the joy of the Lord is my strength. Okay? We were laughing the other day thinking about some of those meals we paid and buying pizza. And, and the guy gave us the price. and we We're like, wait, we're splitting the cost of this. And he said, I know that's the price of one. And we were like, oh, my gosh. I mean, this was just crazy. I mean, it, it, it wasn't cheap. But I wasn't going to allow that to steal my joy because I put my faith in God that, Lord, you know, what has been going on with this washing machine. And we've been battling this for several months and everything. I'm going to give this situation over to you. and I'm going to put it in your hands. I wasn't going to go there and check my bank account every two minutes and, and look at how much everything is being paid and start doing all these calculations. Like, well, if I spend this here, then do no, I wasn't going to do all that. I was going to say, Lord, you gave us this opportunity. You wanted us to go on this trip. We're going. We're going to have a good time in you. And when we get back, we're going to replace that washing machine. And through the grace of God, we did exactly that. OK, so remember that give thanks for what you have. Don't always look to what you don't have, because when you do that, you forget what God has already done for you. And Jesus here just thank God for the fact that they even had some bread and some fish. Then after he did that, he was able to distribute them. So picking up in verse 12, actually, I'm going to read 11 again. And Jesus took the loaves and when he get and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted, underline that as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over uh, by those who had eaten. Then, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is coming to the world. So there you see that Jesus stepped in and said and tested them. OK, let's see how you're going to respond to this test. Hmm, you don't quite have the faith that I need you to have. Let me show you what you need to do. So he gave thanks for what they what they had. And he had to have faith in God, the father, and as well as God, the son himself and, and God, the Holy Spirit, that he was going to be able to provide for five thousand people. How many of us now, if that's all we had and we were faced with even 100 people, would think that we can take bread, five barley loaves and two small fish and feed five and feed 100 people with that? But Jesus stepped in and he showed them what they needed to do and everyone was able to eat. Okay, so it's important, again, like I said there in those scriptures there, that we don't forget what God has already done for us. So make sure we give it that we're giving him thanks and that we don't follow God only when it's convenient for us or when we're having a hard time with issues in life. Follow him at all times. Okay, the last few scriptures here as we start to wind down, turn to Matthew 14. 
And this is another familiar scripture here. Matthew 14. We're going to go to verse 22. Matthew 14, excuse me, verse 22. Another familiar scripture here with some powerful truths that are in here. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So this happened right after Jesus just finished feeding, um, feeding the 5,000, 5,000 people. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And we had when and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Underline that he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening come, he was there alone. Notice that he's going up on a mountain. Okay, they didn't have helicopters and fancy climbing equipment and all of that stuff during this time. So what this is also symbolic of is Jesus and Moses did the same thing. He would go up on on the mountaintop there. But this is symbolic of the struggle that we have in life today, finding time to get away to have one on one time with God, because it's not easy to climb up a mountain. If anyone has ever gone hiking or any anyone has ever done any kind of any kind of rock climbing, it's not easy to do that. So it's not easy to just sit there and say, I can carve out time out of my day, especially in this world, 2019 going on 2020 with all the access to information that we have around us 24 seven. It's not easy to just put that down and say, I'm going to go spend some time with God, especially if you're raising kids. That's hard, too, because you've got to make time to feed the kids, get them changed, do all of those things, homework, which is always fun. Um, you got to do all of those things. So you have to find some time to be able to follow God. So notice that Jesus here went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So it wasn't going to be an easy walk where he can get up to the mountain. It was going to be a struggle to get there, but he did it anyway. Verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now on the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter said to him uh, and Peter answered him and said, Lord, underline this. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, Peter, these guys were just there with Jesus feeding the five thousand. He told them to get in the boat and go to the other side. Now, Jesus just said, it's me. Do not be afraid. And what do they do? They sit there and they doubt or Peter. He doubted if it is you. If we know what God has done for us and we're spending time thinking about that and remembering those things and giving God thanks for those things, then we shouldn't forget what he just did for us. There wasn't a lot of time that had passed from the time that he fed them and then told them, all right, get in a boat and I'm going to meet you over there. So it's not like it was, you know. 15 years or something like that that had gone by it was a very short amount of time but yet and still they don't believe that it was him they just forgot that he just fed 5,000 people don't forget what he just did for you especially when it just happened okay and we're going to talk about some of the dangers of this here in a a little bit but in verse 28 again and Peter answered him and said Lord if it is you command me to come to you on the water so he said come And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw, 
underline that, saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Underline he was afraid. So when his, one of his, phys- his five physical senses kicked in, the fear then came in. So when he saw with his eyes the wind and the waves being tossed around him, even though he was just there walking on the water, he became afraid. Uh, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Underline those verses there, 30 and 31. OK. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God, as if they didn't know that already. Right. OK. But notice there. Again, he saw it with his eyes. I need to go pay tuition for my child's school. I've got five dollars in my bank account. Oh, boy. How am I going to do that? Heart starts racing and you start figuring out, you're stressing out, sweat, sweaty palms and all the things that go along with stress. How am I going to pay for this when I have five dollars in my account? How am I going to pay for this bill when I don't have this? How am I going to do this when I don't have that? How am I going to buy a house when I don't even know a real estate agent? Or I don't have enough money saved up or I don't have this. When you see things with your physical senses or in this case with your eyes or anything else that is um, when you use your physical senses to look at the situation, that's when that fear kicks in because... You forget about what faith actually is, which is what we talked about earlier. Right. Faith is not about what you can see, touch, taste, feel, smell. It's about the supernatural world. It's about the world that God lives in, in which he said he's already going to take care of every single one of your situations. So don't be afraid and do not doubt. The bad part about Peter doing this, too, because we all ask God for signs and everything like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there is. But see, Peter asked for a sign because he didn't believe that it was Jesus. So when you're asking God for a sign, are you doing it because you don't believe it's God doing it? Or do you not? Or do you ask God for a sign because you really, really, really don't want to do what you know he's going to ask you to do? What does that look like? Well, if I'm looking to 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 uh, take a job and I know that I've got to obviously I got to fill out an application and go on an interview and everything like that. Maybe God is telling me. Hey, this job sounds good. I want to do this. But maybe God is telling me, "Mm -mm, don't do that. Don't go pursue that. Leave it alone. Let it be. And if I keep pushing and pushing and pushing, hey, Lord, give me a sign. Give me a sign. Give me a sign. What I want God to tell me is, yes, go fill out that application. And so what I may end up doing is I may go around, start talking to all sorts of people and telling them about this job I might be interested in. And they may look at me and say, "Uh, I don't know. You sure that's something that you want to do? Oh, yeah, I prayed about it. Are you sure, though? Because here's what this could actually look like. And then you might look, find that one person that tells you, no, this is the greatest thing because here's what we're going to do for you. And then they hold up that shiny object to you. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pursue it. And then next, you know, you pursue that thing and it doesn't turn out any way you thought it was going to turn out. Okay, that's the dangers of if you're not careful when you're asking God to show you a sign. The best way to ask God for a sign is if you are. If you are going in a direction and you know you have an inkling that God is pulling you in that direction, but you're not 100 percent sure it's him. That's a good way to say, Lord, I feel like you're telling me to do this. I'm not sure if it's you and I want to do this. Can you give me confirmation versus? Yeah, I don't want to do this. And I know God is telling me to do this, but I'm going to sit back. I'm going to make God show me a sign. God, show me a sign that, that that's really you. 
God shows you a sign. God showed me another sign because I don't think you could do that. OK, you don't want to get into that, into, into that, because what you are doing then is a couple things. One, you're doubting your um, you're doubting your ability to hear from God. OK, because a lot of times people will say, I don't know what God's voice sounds like. Like, how do I know when I've heard from God? And there's different signs you can look for, but you don't truly know unless you've actually heard from God, because it's just a, the only way I can describe it is it's just a knowing in your spirit that you know it's him. There's no booming voice. There's no accent or anything like that. There's no speech pattern to it. You just know in your spirit that, yeah, that's God talking to me. So I'm going to go in that direction. So when you hear those things, a lot of times what Christians will do is they'll feel that. And then they'll say, no, that's not God, because it can't be that simple. It's got to be he's got to come to me with a booming voice or they sit back and they wait for God to shake them. They want God to just pull the bottom out from under them and say, oh, OK, yep, that's God. That's you. But by that time happens, who knows what you've already you've already been with. It's, you, you've been you've made it harder on yourself than you than you needs to be. I've seen these um, home improvement shows and I forgot the name of this one um, that I had watched several years ago. There was a, a, a contractor that would go out and he would fix the home improvement projects that the previous contractor had done. And without fail, as he's talking to the to the couple about what's going on and they say, oh, yeah, the contractor said they were going to do this, 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 this and this. And I don't know much about building houses, but even some of the things I heard, I was like, man, it's as simple as my mind. And I said, well, you went for that. How did you fall for that? You know, and that's what he was asking. And he wasn't as blunt, you know, necessarily. But that's what he was saying was, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. On cops, what you know, TV show cops that I've, I've seen a guy got pulled over, Range Rover, okay. And if you know anything about a Range Rover, you know that's a thirty, forty thousand dollar, or actually almost a hundred thousand dollar car. Cop asked him, "Hey, is this your car?" "Yeah." "Oh, well, where's the registration and everything like that?" "Oh, well, I just bought it." "Oh, you did." Meanwhile, the car came up stolen. "Yeah, how much did you pay for it?" Three thousand dollars. Three thousand dollars for a hundred thousand dollar car? I mean, you're telling me that I can buy a Lamborghini for the price of a Honda? If it's too good to be true, it could it, it probably is. And so those things happen a lot. I know those are kind of silly and we sit here and we think, well, that's pretty obvious. But understand that there are that happens for real. And the devil knows that because the devil knows your conversation with God. He knows what you're asking for. He knows what you need. He knows the things that you that you are desiring and the, and the, uh, the, the accomplishments you want to make. So as he knows those and he hears you t- talking to God about it, he's off on the side planning and trying to do things that will keep you off of God. So he'll hold up that little shiny object to you and say, yes, all these people that are giving you these warnings, don't listen to them. Because at the end of the day, this is the person that's going to hire you. And they said they're going to give you this, this, this and this. Go do it. That's why I make it a a, a point. um, um, Anytime in an interview, I always ask questions. Hey, tell me what this is like and everything like that. And the reason I ask that is because I want to get an idea of what's happening in that environment as much as I can before I actually get there. And then I take that to God if I get an offer and say, all right, Lord, here's what I heard. Is this something that I I should pursue? And I don't think that the, that the hiring manager is purposely um, um, trying to be deceitful or anything like that. But the reality of it is, it is just as people, we forget to say some things. And so I do it because I just want to make sure, Lord, I applied. I got an interview. I felt the interview went well. I got some information about it. They gave me an offer. Is this something that I should take? Because I don't want to be tempted by a shiny object. I feel like you're pulling me. And I look at all the other signs around me. I feel like you're pulling me in this direction. So. Just give me some confirmation that this is what you want me to do. And then he'll give me that confirmation. But I'm not going to go run and do it just for the sake of doing it. From personal experience, I have done that. Take a job that sounded good. And boy, I tell you, when I got out of that, I was so happy. I said, "Ooh, Lord, 
man, I'm so happy that I'm not there anymore. And I don't look back at that at all. I don't miss it. There's some people that I miss, but I don't miss it at all. And it was just it was still a learning opportunity because there were a lot of things that I learned in that job. And the other thing I learned was that you need to seek me before you start pursuing things like that, especially when it comes down to career, because it has because of the impacts that it has around you. Okay, so, again, do not forget what God had just done for you. Be careful about those around you and what they're saying to you. Because there could be someone in there that has an ulterior motivation in talking to you just to get you to do what they want you to do. So make sure you're taking it. You're you're taking it to God. Amen. The last thing that I want to do. okay, and I was been praying about this for for, for some time and preparing for this message. okay, is everyone has a should have a little little piece of paper um, either on your chair or, or with you. And those of you that are hearing this, you can do this. Um, You can do this with any piece of paper. And I'm going to talk to you while I I ask you to do some writing here. Um, And what I would like you to do is just take some time and write down on this piece of paper. If you don't have a pen, borrow one from from your neighbor or something. I've got one if anyone needs it. Um, Just write down some things that are troubling you. It doesn't have to be a major trial or tribulation. It could be something small. Just write it down and keep that to yourself. And what I'm going to ask you to do is go home and take some time for the rest of the day. Get away. Talk to God. All right. Find a prayer closet somewhere in your house that you can just sit down and talk to God about these things and talk to him like you would if you were talking to a friend or a family member. Talk to him like you would talk to anybody that you're talking to to, to these about this challenge with, because oftentimes we try to make it a little bit too complex. We know that God is all powerful and and we know that we need to show reverence to to him. But sometimes you make it a little bit too complex when we talk to him and we think that we can't just have a conversation with him. So when you're taken with him, talk to him about it. Lord, these are the things that are troubling me right now. And I feel fear about this. I'm afraid about this. Okay, I'm really worried about this. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I'm not sure if, if, if Lord, I don't even know if you can handle this and be honest with him about it. Okay. Maybe it is a new appliance that you have to buy. Maybe it's a bill that you have to pay. Maybe it's a decision you're trying to make about whether or not you need to, 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 to buy a house or something about a job. Maybe there's something going on with the kids. Maybe it's something going on with you personally. Maybe you're having some individual struggles with some people at work. Maybe there's somebody there that you're like, you know, if I see this person one more time, <laughs> I'm going to lose it. OK, maybe it's one of those things. But whatever it is, write it down. Take some time to. Go home and talk to God and don't put a time limit on it because God is not always going to speak to you when you think he's going to speak to you. Make some time, go into your closet, pray about it and listen. And as he speaks to you, write down what it is that he that you're feeling he's saying to you, whatever that might be, even if it seems like it's not related. Okay, I think I shared a a story once I when I had to come up with this major this, this major project plan and I had two days to do it. For a major issue that we, we were having in the organization that I was working in. And as I sat down on the computer and I started putting the plan together, I kind of hit a wall. And when I hit that wall, I, hear, I heard God say, stop looking at it. Put it away. And I was like, Lord, what do you mean put it away? This thing is due in a couple of days. And I mean, this is how big the problem is. Put it away. So I did. Turned it off. I did something else. The next day at about 1030 in the morning, I heard, go back to that project plan. Okay. Open it up. Bang. I knocked out a process just like that. 
But if I would have tried to stay there and didn't listen, because there was nothing related to, there was no reason in my mind for me to have to develop this plan that was going to have major impacts to a whole lot of people that if it didn't go well, my name would have been on on it. There was no reason in the world in my mind that I should have turned off my computer and not looked at it then. Because I knew it had to go to a couple of people for approval before we can execute, which means I had to get it done right now. But I decided, I said, all right, Lord, if you're telling me to turn this off, there's a reason for it. I don't know what it is, so I'm going to do it. And I did it. And when he told me to go back to it, that's what I did. I went back to it. Okay. so just take some time today, the rest of this afternoon to listen to what God has to say about the the challenges that you wrote down on, on your paper there. All right. And this is between you and God. This is personal. This is a personal conversation there. All right. If you have a spouse, you know, let your spouse know, hey, I need to go off for a while. I need to talk to God. I need to listen to what he's got to tell me. Okay. They'll understand. And if they don't lift them up in prayer as well. Okay. But this we 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 God is wanting us to get to a point where we have a deep personal connection with him to where we can talk to him and go to him just like I can go and talk to a family member, just like I can go and talk to a friend. And he's wanting to get us out of the situations that we are in. But he's asking us. He's asking us. To do what he's asking us to do. And to be obedient to that and to seek him and to listen to what he says and don't think twice about what he says. If he says, go to the left, go to the left. If he says, go to the right, go to the right. If he says, be still, be still. Even if it doesn't make sense in your in your physical mind, in your human mind. Praise God. Praise God. I hope this message has been a blessing to you. And now let's, as we prepare to close, let's prepare to honor God with our tithes and offerings.